So uh, a couple weeks till Christmas. We're, we're almost to Christmas. Are you ready for Christmas? Okay, we've got some eager beavers. You've done your Christmas shopping. Get anybody out there that like hasn't done the Christmas shopping yet. Anybody like you got a whole lot to do. Uh, is anxiety starting to build in your heart a little bit? Like the time is running out. If you're like me, I, I've, I've played it really close in the past. I, I, I'm happy to tell you today that I've got most of my stuff done this year, but I've, I've ran it real close in the past. And probably some of you, if you're honest, uh, you might not have delivered all that you thought you were going to deliver on Christmas one time in the past. Maybe uh, it slipped your mind and you weren't able to get out and get everything done. Anybody just like not able to get everything done? That's the worst feeling, isn't it? That anxiety that creeps in as we come into Christmas is a real thing. Why? Well, because we've got family members. Many of us have kids that are really counting on that day being a big day. And so we know that we've got this deadline that we need to make sure we've gotten our presents so that we've delivered the, the goods on the day of. Because we all know the feeling of not coming through on something we need to come through on, correct? Have you ever had that moment? That's the worst thing in the world, that you, you were going through your day-to-day -day life and you had something you were responsible to do and then you got distracted or you got sidetracked and you found yourself doing other things and then all of a sudden that deadline was bam, right on you and you forgot to get it done. Anybody ever forget to get something done? We got some liars in church. Okay, I got good news. Jesus is here and he is here to forgive and save. So that's good. We all know that horrible feeling, don't we? Of like having something we needed to do and then we got distracted doing other things that weren't necessarily bad. They just weren't the one thing that you really had to do. And we all know that feeling. It's, it's a difficult feeling. And then you have to deal with the regret and oh, well, what was I doing that I shouldn't have been doing? And we all know that feeling. Whether it's a little thing, you're supposed to do something. You just All you're supposed to do is pick up, the, it was, it was, you just forget the kids at the bus stop. It's not no big deal, right? Like, come on. <laughs> But you got busy doing other things. Like you know, maybe you got binge watching Netflix and then you forgot to get that thing done. Binge watching is a dangerous thing. Just saying, that's not in my notes, but we live in a day and age where you don't just watch an episode, you watch a season. Oh, watch one more season tonight. Like, yeah, that's what we do. But we all know that feeling of missing a deadline and the angst that comes up as we close into one. We know that feeling of not getting done what we needed to get done because we got distracted. And if you're like me, you fight this propensity, that you have this propensity to get distracted doing the things, uh, good things, at the expense of doing what you should be doing. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I was talking to my buddy Micah, and we were having dinner with our wives, and uh, we were talking about work, and both of us are task-driven uh, people at our jobs, and we have this big things that we have to do each week as far as creating, and uh, it's so hard to do the one thing you're supposed to do, and so both of us are saying it's really easy to get distracted doing a bunch of little things, and then you come to the end of the week, and you realize the one big thing you're supposed to do, you didn't do. Anybody, am I preaching to anybody? We know what that feels like, though, to kind of push things off. Maybe some would, some would call it uh, being distracted. Some would call it being apathetic, maybe procrastinating. But we know what that feeling is to, to have missed the point of what you should have been doing. It's easy to get distracted from the things that we should be doing most. And it's easy in life to get to lose sight of what's most important for things that are less important. And most of the great tragedies of marriages falling apart or, or family relationships dissolving or great big mistakes that have been made usually are a series of distractions that lead up to this dysfunction. And so for a lot of us, we know what that battle is to lose sight of things. And here's the thing I've found as a Christian, the battle rages on. 
the, the challenge to maintain our focus on what matters most perhaps gets even more difficult within the church because distractions in the church and distractions for Christians are all good. Well, we do this for Jesus, and we come to church for Jesus, and we do this for Jesus, and it's really easy within the church of Christ to get distracted doing very good things and actually miss out on the one thing that he asked us to do. Did you know that Jesus actually commissioned the church? Do you know that before Jesus ascended to heaven in victory, after he rose from the grave, he actually gave the church one thing to do? Now, there's all kinds of things we do as a church. We worship together, and we gather together, and we bless one another, and we minister to each other, and we pray for each other, and we disciple each other. But there's one thing Jesus asked us to do. He said in Matthew 28, he gave us his mission. Did you know that Jesus came with a mission? He came with a mission to seek and save that which is lost. Another time he said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. Jesus came on a saving mission and he gave his saving mission to his church. The last thing that he said to his disciples was in Matthew 28. I think we have it on the screen. He said that he, 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 been, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. There it is. Here's your job, church. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave his church a great big task, a giant commission, the great commission. He told his church to go and make disciples. And what I have noticed as I have been part of the church most of my life, and as I have led the church for the last four years, and I've been working in the church for over 11 now, I've noticed how easy it is for us as believers to get knocked off target ever so subtly to where we're not actually doing much of the one thing Jesus asked us to do. But the point of being the church of God, God made a church on mission. Do you know that the church does not have a mission, but the mission of God has a church? That God's mission on earth has not changed from when Jesus came, died, rose again so that many could be saved. He gave that mission to the church so that what? Many could be saved. That is our mission, saving souls. That's what we do as a church. And it is so easy for us to lose track and lose sight of the one thing that God tasks us to do ultimately. And actually, Jesus even talked about how Christians and his people will battle this propensity. He talked in Matthew 24 and 25, he talks about the end times and when he would return. He talked about how, how the church will be distracted and they'll be busy doing things and they won't be on, on guard. And so he talked about be ready for my return because here's something, we don't just believe in a risen king, we believe in a coming king. Jesus will come again and he's coming in glory and power and he tells us to be ready for it. And one time he talked about this, he gave this parable called the parable of the talents and he talked about having given authority and responsibility to, to, to his people. And he talked about this one guy who took what Jesus asked him or gave him and he, he buried it in the ground and Jesus did not say well done, he said you wicked servant. And I feel like as churches, there is always this struggle to, to not bury the talent that Jesus gave us, to not bury the thing that Jesus told us to do in the first place. This is why in churches, I don't know who, who's all here today, but, but whatever your background is, you've probably seen squabbles in churches, not our church, but other churches. 
You, you've probably seen people argue about how music should be. You've probably seen people get upset about this or that, or the preacher wears jeans, or the preacher wears a suit, and all kinds of stuff that we get nitpicking about and get conversing about. But at the end of the day, we have one thing that we are supposed to do, to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the mission of the church, is to take the gospel to all nations. We have been now for the last uh, nine weeks, we are almost done our series called Code of Kings. We are now at week nine. Can you believe it? I have one more next week. I'm really excited about it. But we're almost done. For those of you who are just joining us, we've been tracking through what we were calling Code of Kings, where these are our core values, our non-negotiable, essential things that we hang on to. And we say, you know what? Through thick or thin, no matter what comes, no matter what culture says, we will hang on to these things as true and everlasting and we're not letting go. And we're giving these things to our children and our children's children. And so we've been talking about these week after week for the last couple months. And here we are at week nine. And now these are in a sequential order, but they aren't in a valued order. This isn't ninth most important. In fact, this is utmost important. Here it is, number nine. Code number nine is this. We on a mission. We're on a mission. We are a church on mission. Code nine is on mission. Let me say it like this. Here is our statement. This is so good. I could just go around walking, walking around saying this. We are sent out to earnestly declare and demonstrate the good news that Jesus saves. You should be saying amen right there. Can we say this out loud, you guys in the East as well? Let's say it out loud. Just repeat after me. Bring it up on the screen if it's not already there. We are sent out to earnestly declare and demonstrate the good news that Jesus saves. Can I get an amen? amen. This is who we are, church. We are a church on a mission. We have one singular focus in all that we do. If it's coming at the expense of this one thing, to do the thing that Jesus told us to do, we need to stop doing it. If it's not serving the mission, it has no position. Whoa, that rhymed. Hey, that wasn't even in my notes. I'm just going to freestyle for a second. It, and churches get so sidetracked doing things that are really good at the expense of the mission. But we have one ultimate mission. People ask me sometimes, Brent, how much does your church give to missions? And I always say all of it, 100%. What they really mean is global missions. And we do have a percentage that, that goes out the door. But everything we do, church, 100% of the money given to this church, 100% of my job and every job at this church, 100% of the volunteer roles at this church ultimately is for one single reason, to declare and demonstrate that King Jesus saves. Amen. Everything we do is for that mission. And so I want to just for a couple minutes, I want to look at this idea of being on mission. And I want to ask the question, what does mission look like? What does this mission look like when the church is doing what the church is supposed to do? Because it's so easy for us to lose sight. We can get so excited about things, good things. We, we launched a worship album this year. That's exciting. People are coming to church. That's exciting. There's all kinds of great things. We built a brand new kids wing next door at the Valley Campus. That's exciting. But if it's not serving the mission, then it doesn't matter. Everything we do is on mission. So I want to paint a picture for you from this Mark chapter 2. I love this text. I love this story. This really happened. And I want to paint a picture because I think in here we get a good reminder and a good focal point of what a believer's life should look like and what a church's life should look like and what we are here to do. 
This is our task until the day we take our last breath or the day that the clouds tear apart and Christ's return. We are on a mission. Here's what it looks like. So if, you're, if you have your Bibles, open them to Mark chapter 2. We're just going to hang out there. Is it okay? We're, we're, we're just going to hang out in, the, in this section today, and I'm excited for it. I, I feel like God's going to speak to you. It says this. We read it already, but I'll, I'll bring us back up to speed. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people had heard that Jesus had come home. They gathered in such large numbers. So get this in your head. He's in a house. They gather in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Now let me just paint a picture, and we're going to keep going. There are probably hundreds of people there. Uh, a first century Palestinian home generally had like four main components or, com or rooms and usually had a center gathering room within it. There are probably several hundred people there. It even tells us there are people outside of the house like trying to listen through the wall. I don't know if they had cups up to it or what, but they were trying their best to hear the word. The point is this. Jesus had come to town. Actually, most scholars believe that this was in the home of Peter the Apostle, St. Peter. This was in his house. And he'd come to town, and people are pressing in to hear the word. I love that picture because that, that, that lets me not off the hook. Do you believe that the word of God is worth pressing into? Do you believe that it's worth gathering a crowd for? It's worth fighting the lineups? It's worth getting there early? I believe the word of God is worth that. And the Bible would tell us that, that people are, are coming to hear the word because it's not just teaching. When it's Jesus' word, this is life. It's freedom, it's peace, it's truth, it's liberty, it's all those things. And this word goes further and deeper and higher than anything else you'll find in the world. And when people get a vision of the power of the word of God, they gather around. Man, I'm believing that, I'm dreaming for that day at our church, aren't you? I, I want to see lineups down the street. I want to see it not just at our street. I, I'd love to see it all through the Maritimes. Can you imagine the day when, when the average Atlantic Canadian knows, yeah, you know what? More than the movie, more than the sea dogs, more than this thing or that thing, I got to go and hear the word. I want to hear the word because the word is life. I'm believing for that day. Lineups outside the door. And then it says this in verse three, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man. So picture this. Crowded, it's packed. And these guys, four of them, it says, carried by four of them, they bring a paralyzed man. Now, since they could not get to him, to, they could not get him to Jesus, rather, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. And then they lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Here's my first point I want to just draw out of this. What does it look like mission? What are, we, what are we trying to do? We're on a mission first and foremost as the church to see people to Jesus. Our job is to see people to Jesus, not see people go to Jesus, to see to it that they get to Jesus. That's the job of the church. Our job is to see people to Jesus. I love this. This is so challenging to me. It says in verse five, can we bring that back up? Bring that scripture back up, verse two and then to verse five. It says that when Jesus saw, can you, can you say it out loud? When he saw their faith, when he saw their faith, he said to this paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Here's, here's what I, I figure out of this. Salvation is a personal decision, but getting to Jesus is often a group effort. Do you know what I mean? 
Like, like salvation, no one can decide for you. If you're, if you're here, you're not a believer. No one can decide for you whether you're going to give your life to Jesus and receive mercy and forgiveness and all that he has for you. That's your decision. But getting to Jesus, I bet somebody got you there. I know for me, somebody got me to Jesus. I know for you, you're probably here. There's a, there's a myriad of people that got you to Jesus. You see, salvation is a personal decision, but getting to Jesus is a group effort. I want to play. Let's, 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 let's play this out for a second. Do we have our stretcher? Yes, don't fall in the baptismal, Jason. I need, and this is risky because I got a bunch of people who are probably, thanks, Jason. I got a bunch of people that are introverts. Can I, get, can I get five gentlemen? Can I get five guys? I'm not trying to be, right now, come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, you can be on stage. It's not nerve-wracking at all. Come on. Three, four, one more, one more. All right, all right. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna play this so that we can see it. Now, it says that there was a paralyzed man. Who's going to be the paralyzed guy? All right, take the, take the light. Okay, Curtis, other way, other way, other way. All right, I don't know if we can get this on camera or not. Now, it says four guys carried him. Now, can you guys get him in the air? And I want to, I think this might be distracting and this might backfire or it might just help get the point across. Four guys, to see if you can pick him up. Four guys carried him. All right. Now, just while I'm talking, why don't you like, see if you can go down there and go around the church and come back up. Why don't you do that? Go ahead, go ahead. See, go ahead, guys. Go ahead. Hey, don't mind me. Is he heavy? So, so, let's just make sure he gets down the stairs. You gonna be all right, Curtis? You gonna be, hang in there, buddy. <laughs> so now, now we're having fun here, but just get this picture in your mind. Four men grab a hold of their friend. We don't know who he is. We don't know what's going on. We don't know how long he's been paralyzed. We don't even know how far he had to travel. All we know is this, that four guys grabbed a hold of him on a stretcher or a mat, as the Bible says, and they carried him to Jesus. And I want to just say a couple things out of this, this whole idea of seeing people to Jesus. The first thing I think they saw was that they saw this guy's need. They knew that this was a job for Jesus. How are we doing, guys? You getting tired yet? Come on up here. I'm going to get you to stand right here because I want, I want to make this point. One, one more set of stairs. One more set of stairs. We got it? That's a dangerous one. He just heads, his head's pointing. These are trained professionals. You can just stay, stay, oh, stay standing. Is he getting heavy yet? No. Okay, well, that's, I'm going to let you hold him long enough until he gets heavy. Stay right there. These four guys, we don't know their relationship. We don't know if they were friends. We don't know if they're family members. All we know is they knew of a guy who they knew needed to get to Jesus. And so they went and they carried him to Jesus. Here's the first thing I think it, the church needs to understand. Our job is to see people's needs. The church's job is to see that there are broken people that need Jesus. This is a job for Jesus. They knew that if I can just get him to Jesus, Jesus is the answer. They saw, we don't, again, I love how the Bible doesn't tell us what his actual disease was. They just tell us, it just tells us he was paralyzed. We don't know what, what actually caused the paralysis. We just know he was paralyzed. Paralysis is usually a symptom of some kind of accident or some kind of disease or thing going on in the body. And I think the church needs to understand this. Wherever you look, you need to see people who have a symptom of a bigger issue. Wherever we go and wherever we look, we believers, we need to know that there is a great issue facing every person. Do you know that person you saw on the street with the bottle who's an alcoholic? They don't have an alcohol problem. They have a sin problem. 
the person who's got a pride issue, the person who's, got, who's afraid of everything. We see the fruit of the problem and we call that the problem. The problem facing every human being is there is a dysfunction within all of us called sin. And sin reaps destruction, whether it's disease or addiction or failure or flaws. It's ultimately all sin. And these guys knew, I got to get my friend to Jesus. And they carried him to Jesus. They saw his needs. And here's the thing. And here's why I wanted you guys to carry him for so long. They bore the burden. They paid the price. They themselves went and got him. If it was up to him, he's not getting to Jesus on his own, is he? These guys made the effort. These guys went the distance. These guys picked him up. These guys carried him. It was them who carried them. They paid the price. And it's the job of the church to carry the burden of getting people to Jesus. We pay the money. We pay the time. We pay the effort. It's messy. It's hard work. It's exhausting. But our job is to carry the burden of getting people to Jesus. That's what we do. You guys can set him down. Can we thank them? Thank you. He's healed. Heart rate's 100. He's going to be okay. Okay, good. They paid the price. They paid the price of the mission. They were the ones that actually went out and carried him. They saw his need. They bore the burden. They paid the price. And here's the thing. The heart of God goes out and finds hurting people. That's what the church is supposed to be. And the church so often gets inverted, don't we? Where, where it's this kind of, you know, well, you can come in and you can sing our songs and you can join us. Well, actually, the church is supposed to be a sent out people. We're supposed to be the ones that are going out. I'll never forget. I actually talked about him last week. It's funny. He comes up again. When I was in Orlando, I heard the evangelist Reinhard Bonnke talk. And there we are. And we're at this like highly charismatic conference. It was awesome. But like prayer warrior people are there, you know, speaking in tongues and having a blast and being wild. And, and these are the people that would just want to sit and pray all day and be happy with that. I love those people. That's great. But Bonnke gets up and he's an evangelist. And he said this, you know what? He said, every person in America, I'm not going to try to do his accent, but every person in America could gather together and you could pray all day, every day for revival. Every believer in America, and it would not happen. It will not happen until someone gets up and leaves the meeting and goes out and finds someone that needs Jesus. And that's the mission of the church. And if we get so comfortable just kind of doing our own thing, and we love one another, and this is a family. I love my family, both my church family and my family family, and I have no problem spending time with them. But it gets really easy to drift into kind of this family affair, and we forget about the fact that we are a sent people. And we are supposed to go and seek and save those who are lost, just like Jesus did. We're supposed to go out and find them and bring them and bear them to Jesus. It says this, too. I love this. Get this picture in your mind. It says they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then they lowered the mat the man was lying on. I love that they didn't just stop. Can you imagine, like, carrying this guy all that way, and then you get up there, and they realize, I can't even get in there if I wanted to. People are jammed in. And at the point in which many of us would have turned back and said, well, maybe Jesus is going to do an 11 o'clock service, um, most of us might have turned back. They didn't. They didn't let that barrier get between them and getting him to Jesus. And the job of the church is to break down barriers for people. We're the ones that are supposed to claw through things to help people get to Jesus so that they can have their best chance of experiencing what Jesus wants to give them. And again, I think we all fall victim as churches and as Christians. We fall prey to this thing of we, we, we very easily build up more barriers than we do in tearing them down. 
We develop a certain way of talking. Or you have to dress a certain way to go to church. Or we, we, we assume too much. And I think this picture shows us this, that, that, that believers and, and people who follow Jesus were actually people who break through barriers. It says that they tore through the roof to get him to Jesus. I love that. They tore right through the roof. Now, most first century Palestinian homes with their roofs were made out of brush and mud and that kind of stuff. And the Bible tells us that they got up on the roof and they actually ripped open the roof. Like, can you imagine, and I wasn't going to make these guys like try to lower Curtis down, but can you imagine how difficult that would have been for them to actually get a guy up on the roof and rip the roof open and then lower him down? I just love the fact that these guys fought the fight. They fought to get him there. They fought to get him to Jesus. That's why at our church, we, we fight to get more people in. That's why we fight you to go park up, up in the top parking lot. Or that's why we fight you to make room or pick a new service. We're fighting to try to break down as many barriers as possible so that people can come face to face with Jesus. That's why we have people in red shirts that seat you where you don't want to be seated. Because we're trying to break down barriers so that the person who comes in that's never been here before, can just slip in and they can sit down and they might just might have an encounter with Jesus. Everything we do is to try to break down barriers for people so that they can come to know the saving power of King Jesus. They fought the fight. They got him in there. They paid the price. I love that they just, they, they expended their energy. Uh, I heard a couple weeks ago after we did Love Week, you know, there's, there's no amount of money that could go into someone finding Jesus. And uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Greg forwarded me. There were some, a couple people that filled out on their form in their, in their seat that they decided to follow Jesus that week. It was the week of Love Week, and we found out that these were two people that were directly affected by uh, Love Week. And I thought to myself, there's $124,000 well spent. Like, because that's what we are called to do. We're called to bear the burden, called to pay the price, called to fight the fight, to break down barriers and get people as close to Jesus as possible. And, and this is my favorite part of this whole picture. It says that they lowered him down, mat and all. I don't know what church you grew up in. Maybe you didn't grow up in a church. Maybe you went to church once and you felt like, I can't go to church because I'm a bad person. I can't go to church because I got this thing going on in my life or this thing out, out of whack in my life, so I can't go to church. And it's amazing to me how many people have this mindset about being part of the church or going to church. I see it every Easter, the people who feel guilty coming back to church because they know they haven't been living the life and all that stuff. This tells me that, that there's nobody too far gone for Jesus. There's not a certain type of person. You don't have to dress a certain type of way, but Jesus actually takes you just as you are. Isn't that an awesome concept? Like they lowered the paralyzed man right down in the midst of his dysfunction. He didn't have to clean his act up. He didn't have to put on a suit and make sure he knew how to sing the hymns. Like he didn't have to do any of that. He, he, him in his broken, helpless state was lowered down to Jesus in all of his mess. And he wasn't rejected. He wasn't pushed away. Jesus accepted him. Do you know that Jesus wants people coming to him as they are? He wants to reach every person. And you don't need to clean your act. Maybe you're here and you're just visiting and you're like, what am I getting into? You know that Jesus doesn't want you to clean your act up before you get to him. And if you've ever been told that in church, you don't understand. I always, I always, get, 
my heart's always grieved every time I talk to someone. Like if I'm out in the public and someone says, what do you do? And I'll say, I'm a preacher. And they're like, well, I'd come to your church or I'd probably get struck down. <laughs> you know, like, and I'm like, you don't know. Someone told you the exact opposite of everything we believe. Like somehow, somebody, somewhere, or some group, or maybe it was us, communicated to you that you got to get your crap together before you come to Jesus. That's not what's in the Bible. We believe in a Jesus that while we were that guy, he didn't just wait till we got to him, he came to us. That is what we believe. I always get so grieved at Easter. I see hundreds of faces at Easter who just came for Easter because it's some kind of religious thing they do to get God off their back. And I just want to tell them, you don't understand what this is all about, do you? This isn't about appeasing God. It's about receiving God. Jesus said one time, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. Our job is to see people to Jesus. It's a group effort. I just was thinking as I was putting this message together, I, I didn't get here on my own. I didn't get to the, this place in my life where I love Jesus more than I've ever loved him in my life, and I'm sure that I'm going to love him more next year than I do this year, but I didn't get here on my own. I'm thankful that I had people that carried me to Jesus. I'm thankful that my parents, they fought down the barriers of their teenage son and said, I don't want to go to YouTube. YouTube sucks. I'm glad they said, you're going, get on the mat. I'm carrying you to Jesus. I'm glad my parents did that. I'm thankful that I have mentors and godly men and women in my life that prayed for me. And they tore through the roof over me. They tore it open and prayed for me that, that God would get a hold of my life. I'm thankful for my church family that broke down the barriers and they let me be a kid. And they let me make mistakes and no one, not once in my upbringing, I'm thankful for it. And I'm sorry if this has happened to you, but not once in my upbringing has someone shamed me about my walk with Jesus. People have called me on my stuff for my own benefit, but no one's ever said, you need to leave. I'm thankful that I grew up with people. And I, I hope if you haven't, you can start your journey because we'll carry you right to Jesus. But I'm thankful for people who grabbed a hold of me and they got me as close to Jesus as possible. Does anybody, you know, you know what I mean? Like you can probably count their names. You know the names of the people that got you there. You see, that's the job of the church. You're supposed to be grabbing a hold of this thing. I don't know whether it's your family members or your colleagues or your kids. Your job is to grab on and fight through the crowd, fight through the barriers, and you lower your son, you lower your daughter, you lower your wife, you lower your friend, you lower that stranger down to Jesus, mat and all. That's the job of the church, to see people to Jesus. We are on a mission to see people to Jesus, and I'm thankful that I had someone do that for me. Who in your life can you see to Jesus? Let's keep going. I could talk about that for a while. It says in verse 6, so they lower him, and Jesus, get this in mind, Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. He just says that. He didn't, he didn't no, no, no healing happening at this point. He just says, sons, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were saying or thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier for me to say? Now here, watch this. Which is easier for me to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. Now he says this, but I want you to know that the son of man, here's why I'm about to do this so that you'll know that the son of man has authority to forgive sins on earth. So he said to him, get up, take your mat and walk. Here's the second thing. And this is about focus. We're on a mission to see souls saved. That is what the church is doing. This is, this is probably my favorite scripture on healing because healing just confuses people so much in, in, the, in, the, in the body of Christ. So many people wrestle with it. Why did God heal this person and not that person? Here's why God heals any person. There's one reason, so that you will know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on earth. That's why God will heal. We do believe in healing, but we believe in healing as a sign to a greater reality. It is not the end of itself. And so many churches get distracted right there. We want to see signs. We want to see wonders, which we do too, but not at the cost of the main thing. The main thing is this. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost and forgive sins. There is a more pressing reality for every human being than a sick body. And Jesus knew this about this man. He was paralyzed. Can you, I, think, I think that's probably the worst thing you could imagine. He's paralyzed, and yet Jesus just leaves it. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. There you go. He just stops there. And the only reason he healed him was to prove the point that he has the authority to forgive sins. Why? Because eternity matters exponentially more than anything that happens in this life. That what happens to you after you draw your last breath is so much more significant than what happens to you between now and then. And it's not that Jesus doesn't have mercy to answer prayers. And I love that he does that for this man. He shows his kindness. But it's ultimately to point to a greater reality that Jesus came to save souls. And Jesus taught this to his disciples. Do you know his disciples struggled with this? They kept kind of getting things out of whack. They were getting impressed by things or they were getting excited by things. One time they went out on ministry and they were, they were, they were casting demons out of people. Like, how crazy is that? Like, get out, pissow. And they were going away. And they come back to Jesus and like, Jesus, Jesus, we did it. <laughs> and uh, Jesus says, what'd you do? And he says, they say, we cast demons out in your name. And Jesus says, do not celebrate that the demons listen to you. Celebrate that your name is recorded in heaven. Don't celebrate about these supernatural things. These are just signs. They're, they're pointing to a greater reality. And Jesus dealt with this man's ultimate problem. His ultimate problem wasn't paralysis. It wasn't addiction. It wasn't fear. It wasn't failure. It wasn't family dysfunction. All those, those things matter and they're painful. But his main problem was this. He needed forgiveness. He needed his soul made right with a holy God. And that is the great problem that faces every human being. And before God does anything else in your life, if he were to do anything in your life at the expense of that one thing, he would be damning you. There is one thing that God came to do, and that was to save your eternal soul. Did you know that you are an eternal person? 
that you will always be alive somewhere. And the Bible says that there's a great problem facing all of humanity, that we have this issue called sin. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that the wages of sin is death, that we will all die. And the Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our mission is to see people have eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's our mission. Do we want to see bodies healed? Amen. Yes. And we do see that here. Do we want to see lives restored? Yes. And we're going to get to that, but not at the expense of the one thing, that people would be saved, that they would know the saving power of Jesus Christ, that their eternal destiny would be secured. And I think the church, we, we lose sight of that because we get busy doing things. Well, we got we to gotta do better at discipleship. We got to do better at this. Or let's, let's, let's gather together and pray. Those are all great things. But I'll tell you what, there is one pressing need for every human being, and that is what happens when you die. Jesus dealt with his main issue. Son, your sins are forgiven and we see a miracle. This is the great thing about this. Did you see the miracle in the text? It's not that he gets up and walks, if that's what you think it is. The miracle is that holy, spotless God in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, says, son, I forgive you. That's the miracle. That's the miracle. Every week at King's Church, we see miracles. We see the most incredible miracle every week. We see it at Celebrate Recovery. We see it at church every week where people say, I am giving my life to King Jesus. I need saving. I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. That is the greatest miracle you will ever witness in your entire life. You could see somebody's body raised from the dead. I always get a kick out of thinking about Lazarus. Just you know the story of Lazarus where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And here's the thing about that. Lazarus had to die again. That was a temporary thing. Healing is temporary. You might have cancer here today, and I will pray for you and ask that God would take away your cancer, and I hope and pray that he will. But if he does, it's just a temporary fix. There is an afterlife that Jesus is Lord of. He wants to give you an inheritance. This man, Jesus, dealt with his real problem. And I think the church, we so easily get distracted. We need to... We need to see this world as an emergency. Like if what Jesus says is true, if what the Bible says is true, then on a daily basis, there are people who die and they spend eternity in hell. The Bible talks about hell. It's in there. And if we say that we stand on the word, then that means we stand on all the word. And the Bible talks about eternal hell. And that means that there are people dying every day in eternal destruction. That's an emergency. That should cause us to not get too comfortable just doing church. And that's so easy as a church, isn't it? Remember last, last year, I was looking through a, through a report of a bunch of churches we're affiliated with, and I saw several churches, smaller churches, but several churches that reported zero salvations. And I thought to myself, they need, that preacher needs to shut up, and that band needs to unplug, and those small groups need to disassemble and they all need to gather together and they need to leave that building. They need to walk down to the ultramar or something and wait until somebody comes in that they can tell that Jesus saves. Because if you're not saving souls, if you're not reaching people with the gospel, then everything else just doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. 
We are called to meet people's primary need. Do you know Jesus? Have you been forgiven for your sins? And have you received eternal life in Jesus Christ? That's the mission of the church. We are in the soul-saving business. We are a rescue mission. That is what we do. Let me wrap up here. I'm going to invite the band back. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to close, but we are on a mission to see people to Jesus, to get them as close as possible. We are on a mission to see souls saved. We believe in salvation, church. And then finally this, let's look at the last bit of our text here. Mark 2, verse 10, Jesus says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. I love that. They all saw the paralyzed man walking as a living testimony to the power of Jesus. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like that. Here's the, here's the last thing I want to just draw out of this, and then we're going to celebrate and we're going to pray. We're on a mission to see lives changed. I love it. He walked in full view. We, we don't want to stop short at just the, stay with me for just a second. It's a band. You've seen them before. Stay with me. We are not simply on a mission to get people to heaven someday. We are on a mission to get heaven into people now. Salvation begins today. God's work in your life begins today. Does that mean that God's going to heal every affliction in your, in your body right now? I don't know. I, I haven't seen that. He can, but he is after your full restoration and your full renewal. The Bible says that anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. And it's not just saying that. He renews you from the inside out. He brings life where there wasn't life. He brings freedom where you were bound up. He breaks chains where you were locked down. That's what Jesus does. He takes you from death to life. He refines you and he reforms you and he stands you up. You are a paralyzed heap and he stands you up. And so you can walk out in his power. That's what salvation looks like. It's not just punching a ticket, saying, well, I, I prayed a prayer that time, and when I die, I know I'm going to go to heaven. Well, that's good, but God's got heaven for you right now. The mission of the church is to see lives changed. We aren't only called to get people into heaven, but to get heaven into them. We want to see minds renewed. We want to see lives transformed. We want to see relationships restored. We want to see addictions broken, demons cast out, sickness healed as a sign of the power and mercy and goodness of a living God. We are called to see lives changed in Jesus' name, to bring people as close to Jesus that they would receive forgiveness and eternal healing. We're on a mission, church. We are on a singular mission. Every believer, it's your mission. It's not the preacher's mission. You will stand before God someday accountable for whether or not, if you are a disciple of Jesus, your task is to go into all nations and make disciples. Every Christian. It's not just the preacher's job. It's not just the, the, the church's job. It's your job. It's my job. And this is easy for me. I'd get up here and do that part, but I'm, I'm accountable for how I live my life in the real world, just like you are.
I've been just checked by this message today because for me, I, I'm a builder, I'm a doer, and I can get excited about all kinds of stuff. And just this week, I had somebody uh, that I knew from, from college and he, he texted me or actually direct messaged me, which I don't always see those things, but I got the message and it said, uh, hey, Brent, love what's happening at your church. Love week was so cool. Um, what's exciting you most these days? And I was about to write back, well, we've, we're doing a big expansion and we're launching campuses and we're doing all kinds of cool stuff and I got this going on and that going on and their staff's growing and they're awesome. And I felt the Lord say, what's exciting you, Brent? And I had to stop and think about it and reshift my focus to say, no, 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 those things are good. But what excites me is every week, every week we see people come in and we see them, whether they're sitting in a service or they're at Celebrate Recovery and they came in on a stretcher. They came in locked up and dysfunctional. They came in broken and busted, looking for hope, looking for life. And every single week, I see my Jesus reach out and touch people and offer them hope where they had no hope and life where they had no life and give them freedom from their past and a hope tomorrow and power for today, that's what excites me. I have seen hundreds and hundreds of people say, I believe in Jesus and I'm giving my life to him. I believe in a living God who is right now changing lives. That's what excites me. And that's what needs to excite us as a church. Would you stand with me? You guys in at East stand. Church, we're on a mission. We're on a mission. We're sent out to earnestly declare and demonstrate that the good news that Jesus saves. That is why we do what we do. So church, bring it into focus. Bring your life into focus. How are you living on mission? And then look at our church and, and let's remind ourselves that everything we do, we're building a kid's wing at the Valley Campus so that kids will know that Jesus is mighty to save. We gather together in ministry so that you will know that Jesus is mighty to save. Everything we do is for that singular purpose. That is why we do what we do. Uh, there's some of you, I think, in the room. Can you, got, can you hear me okay? There's some of you in the room, just a sec, guys. And I just, I don't want to miss this as I feel like God's speaking to you. And although I've been speaking to Christians, you've been sitting here today saying, I'm that guy. I'm that girl. I'm, I'm, I'm right now. I'm on that stretcher. I'm locked up and I'm hopeless and I'm broken and I'm beat down and I need a savior and I need a touch and I need forgiveness. I want to give you that opportunity and here's the amazing news. Jesus will take you mad and all, dysfunction and all, messed up and all. He'll touch your life today and he will change it forever and ever. And I'll just ask everybody, just out of respect for this moment, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? You guys in the East as well. And if you're a believer right now, there are people around you maybe making this decision, so start praying, start tearing the roof off. But I wanna just say to you, that one who might be here and you feel like my life is... 
messed up or maybe you didn't feel it was messed up and now you realize, you know what, I got bigger problems than just what's happening in my life. I need to know Jesus. I need to know that when I die, I'll be with him forever in glory. And I need to know that right now that God has a, a hope and a purpose and a plan for my life. And so what I wanna do is I'm just gonna count to three and there's no magic in this other than this, that Jesus said, the word of God says, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, that he is Lord, that you will be saved. It's as simple as that, as putting your trust in Jesus. Not in your own works, not in your own riches. You're paralyzed, you can't do it. But Jesus will save you. And if that's you today and you wanna make that decision, you want a brand new start, the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And today is a brand new start for you. And I'm gonna count to three. And on three, I want you to shoot your hand up and become a new creation. One, do not put this off till tomorrow. You may not have it. Two, today is the day of salvation. Three, would you shoot your hand up if you're making that decision? Put it right up high, put it up. Put it up, awesome. If you're making that decision today, put your hand up. I see a few in this room. At ease, put your hand up. Excellent. Amen. Well, let's pray and let's just all of us, let's just commit ourselves to Jesus. Let's just pray this out loud and remind ourselves that we are all sinners saved by grace. Sing, say this out loud. Jesus, I belong to you. Say it out loud. I'm a sinner in need of saving. And I give you my life. Forgive me of my sins. I receive your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, can we just put our hands together and just celebrate what God's done? Amen, amen.